claim to be Christians or shouldn't be Christians. Second Amendment is still part of our Constitution. There's no excuse for bigotry. We need to protect their rights because is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power. The idea of global warming is a left-wing shouldn't be posting hate speech, period. Everyone yelling at each other actually started praying for each other. Something might actually change. There's no excuse for the idea of global warming is a left-wing hostage, and we must use everything in our power to stop America. Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you could join us for church. I also want to welcome those of you, as always, who are watching online around our country and world. More and more people are joining us. In fact, got an email this week from the prison in Worthington, Minnesota. And I uh, just want to give a special welcome to you folks who watch us every week. And Rick Stewart, the leader there, so welcome to you uh, this week as well. We are in a series called Culture Clash, and today's clash is more subtle than the clash between grace and truth, or tolerance and intolerance. Uh, today's clash is between self-esteem and God-esteem. And for those of you who've been waiting for a bigger clash, that's going to be next week with freedom or constraint. So you're not going to want to miss next week. But this week is between self-esteem and God-esteem. And I want to start off with a question just for you to think about. And the question is this. What is your view of yourself? What is your view of yourself? How do you see yourself? Because your self-esteem or your self-image is how you see yourself. Like when you look into a mirror, you know, that's what you see. Your self-image, your self-esteem is how you see yourself, not just physically, but in every other way. When I was in eighth grade, long time ago, I was the point guard for our, our junior high basketball team near Chicago, and we were we were a racially mixed team, and basketball was huge in Joliet, which is where we lived. We were playing our arch rival, uh, junior high rival across town, Gompers Junior High on the east side of Joliet. And I was so nervous at the opening tip, as always, I was nervous during that time. So when our six foot three inch center, eighth grader, six foot three inch center, Odwin Fitz, tipped me the basketball, I broke free, I ran down, and I made a perfect layup for the first two points of the game in the wrong basket. Kid you not. I scored the first two points of the game for the other team, the team we disliked the most. The Gompers players laughed and they yelled, nice shot, 22. You're our best player, you know, for us. I played a solid game after that, but I fouled out and with a few minutes left in the game, was down to the wire. The lead was going back and forth and I sat there on the bench just hoping and praying that we would either win or lose by more than two points. <laughs> lead was going back and forth and we lost that game, not by four, not by three. We lost that game by two points. This is the honest truth, my two points that I scored for the opposing team. I still remember, I felt like a total failure. I remember it 45 years ago that happened. Three years later, I was a junior in high school playing in a Pennsylvania regional championship football game in front of 2,000 fans on our home field. I was our team's running back and punt returner, and it was a tie game. 
big game, championship. The opposing team kicked a towering punt, and I'll never forget this night. It was blowing, it was raining, and I was backpedaling, trying to gauge the distance between the ball and the team was coming at me to, you know, uh, tackle me or whatever they, they needed to do. And I was backpedaling, I thought I had it measured, but it was too high, and it bounced off my shoulder pad, and I tried to catch it, and I fumbled the ball. The other team recovered, and that was the turning point on our 20-yard line. They ran it in from there, and I lost the game of the year for our entire school. I still remember the sick feeling of losing that ball and watching the other team celebrate and seeing the agony on our coach's face as I walked back to our bench. I'm telling you, the sense of failure was so enormous, I didn't know what to do. So I just buried it inside and lived with it. Seven years later, I was delivering a sermon in front of my preaching class at seminary. I was on track to fulfill my dream to becoming a pastor. And I've always been able to teach fairly well, but on that day in preaching class, I bombed. In their evaluations, my classmates were kind to me, but they wrote things like, you seemed a little off. You seemed a little scattered. I had a hard time following you. I left that class that day feeling so low that I seriously considered quitting seminary and becoming a mortician. I don't know why. I guess maybe because people wouldn't talk back to me so much, but becoming a mortician. In fact, I told this story a few years ago, and one of our more colorful morticians who attends our church sent me a gift. I want to show you the gift that he sent to me. It's a miniature coffin with these words on it. Bob Merritt, leader, pastor, and mortician wannabe. <laughs> now, you'll never guess what's inside this. A bottle of wine. I guess to kind of cheer me up. I mean, this guy's got a sick sense of humor. I don't know if he's here today, but we have a nice relationship. I could stand up here and tell you story after story how I failed classes, failed assignments, failed people through the years. I have childhood memories of being yelled at and called names and being bullied. I could tell you how, how I have struggled most of my life to feel secure and confident in who I am. In fact, a week doesn't go by where something doesn't ding me just a little bit, and yet most people think I'm a successful and confident person. Most people think I'm a gifted teacher and leader, and sometimes I do see myself in those ways, but at age 59, I've come to a conclusion, and the conclusion is this, that no matter how strong or successful you might be, you are going to struggle with self-esteem and confidence at times. In fact, I battle it almost every single day. It mainly comes from hurtful things that have been said or done to us or hurtful things that we've actually done to ourselves and we feel this low self-esteem. Now, the good news is that God wants to restore our esteem. God wants to strengthen our spirit, but it's not automatic, and it requires a daily reminder of who we are created in God's image, who we are in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, but who we are as people in the eyes of God. Paul, the apostle, was uh, author of many books in the Bible and scripture, and he says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, 
by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now you need to know that Paul did a lot of bad things in his life. Especially before he was a believer. He was a persecutor of the church and Christians. But he says, by the grace of God. You know what? I am what I am. And I love that verse. That's God esteem. God esteem. God did not make you to be somebody else. By the grace of God, every one of you are what you are. And by the way, God has never made a mistake. By the grace of God, you are what you are. Too many people, I think, try to be someone they're not. And they end up missing the beauty and wonder of who God made them to be. Man, it was a great day in my life when I realized that I'm not Bill Hybels, who's one of my heroes. I'm not Andy Stanley, another one of my heroes. I'm not Jordan Spieth. Some of you don't even know who that is. You should know who that is. I love each of those guys, but I'm not them, and they're not me, and I'm so glad I'm not one of them. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And by the grace of God, you are who you are. The difference between God-esteem and self-esteem is self-esteem is something I've got to kind of gin up and generate myself, and it comes and goes depending on my mood or what somebody says about me or how well I do at something. But God, is, God esteem is something that God gives to me because he made me. And it doesn't, it doesn't change. It's stable. It comes from knowing that I'm created in God's image, knowing that I'm forgiven and forever loved by God. And so are you. And what I want to do in just the time we have left is touch on three areas where I think the clash between God-esteem and self-esteem surfaces the most in our society, and maybe you'll relate to some of these things, three of these things. The first one, I think, is, is real clear. It's appearance, especially among women and young girls. Appearance is a huge source of either I feel good about myself or I don't feel good about myself. In fact, the American Health Organization asked Gallup to do a survey about self-image. People were asked, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? The overwhelming response people gave was, I would change my appearance. People wanted to be thinner, smaller, shorter, or taller. They wanted better skin, better hair, better teeth, better nose, better legs. They would change their appearance. 53% of all 13-year-old girls surveyed said they did not like their appearance. 13-year-olds, 53%. That number by age 17 jumped to 78% of all girls said they did not like the way they looked. But I want you to see what the psalmist David wrote about you and me. He says, look, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, fearfully here doesn't mean, oh, geez, you know, whoa. It means awesomeness. It means so freakishly awesome, it's almost scary to think about. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to ask a question. Do you believe that about yourself? That you are fearfully and wonderfully 
made by, made by God. You know what I think? I think many of you don't believe that about yourself. You know what the truth is? Most people are not physically beautiful. Most are not. I mean, just go to a wild game and look around. I mean, it's, most people are very average. I used to be average. Now I'm somewhat below average. But so what? Honestly, God says each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made a walking, thinking, creative marvel. But here's the clash. Our society puts such a high value on appearance that if you're not pretty, if you're not handsome, you're made to feel inferior. But I'm here to tell you, beauty only lasts so long. If you're beautiful, by the way, that's great for you. But you better have something more going for you because starting at about age 50, it starts to fade and sag real fast. <laughs> and, and being pretty or handsome, by the way, can't produce the esteem that we think it can. In fact, supermodel Cameron Russell, I don't know if you know who she is, there's Cameron Russell she gave a TED Talk on this topic a while back, and she says this. I want you to see what she says. If you think having thinner thighs and shiny hair makes you happy, you need to meet a group of models because they have the thinnest thighs, shiniest hair, and the coolest clothes, and they're the most insecure people on the planet. I want to show you a couple of split shots of Cameron here. This is when she was photographing for French, French Vogue. This was a week later at a slumber party. She says every photograph that's been taking of, taken of her, there's a lot of fakeness. It's photoshopped to the hilt. Again, this was a week removed from that picture to that picture of who she really is. Friends, it's not real. If you're striving for this kind of beauty, it's a pipe dream. I want you to watch how people are naturally more critical of their appearance than they should be in this three-minute video. Watch this and just let it speak to you. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I'd never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw? My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? Kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm gonna ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm gonna ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. So here we are. Mm -hmm. This is the sketch that you helped me create. And that's a sketch 
that somebody described of you. So, yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter. Sadder, too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. I wonder, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself just plain, wrinkled, awkward, unattractive? Or do you see yourself as God sees you, perfectly and wonderfully made just the way he wanted you? I mean, obviously, we should take care of ourselves and do the best we can with diet and exercise because being as physically fit as you can makes you feel better about yourself. But no matter what you look like, you are wonderfully made by God. And if you spend all your time obsessing over the way you look and wishing you were somebody else, you can miss the wonder of who God made you to be. God made you to be a wonderful person, amazing person, a caring mother maybe, a loving dad, a great teacher, a musician, a craftsman, a humanitarian, by the grace of God, you are who you are, fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Second area of tension here is the area of achievement. And I'll be honest with all of you, this is an area where I derive a lot of my self-esteem, personally, men do, a lot of men do. You know, it's achievement. I don't think that's all bad, by the way. You know, God didn't, didn't give us this amazing being, this body, this intellect, just to play video games all day. He didn't do that, you know, just for that, just to watch TV. God gave us this being, this incredible mind, this body to work and create. I love what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says, you are God's masterpiece. Love that. Created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Part of God's plan for every person here is to be creative and do great work. Look what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. A person can do nothing better than to find satisfaction in their work. This is from the hand of God. I'm telling you, part of God's purpose for every person here, is that we work and achieve in school, sports, business, military, music. And there's great satisfaction in doing something well. I like what Bill Gates wrote years ago. He, he called it 
rules for life that young people should learn in school, but sometimes they don't. I'm going to give you six quick ones. He says, rule number one, life isn't fair. Get used to it. Every kid should know that. Rule number two, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. He or she doesn't have tenure. Amen. Rule number three, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got that way from paying your bills, buying your clothes, and listening to you talk about how cool you are. <laughs> Rule number four, life isn't divided into semesters. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Love that. Rule number five, television is not real life. People actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to their jobs. And rule number six, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one someday. <laughs> Rules for life. What's he saying? He's saying get after it. Achievement is honorable. It contributes to building self-esteem. But what happens if you do your best and you fail? What happens if your 22-year-old Jordan Spieth, who with the world watching him at the Masters, was leading the final round by five strokes? It was a cakewalk, but hit his ball into the water twice on hole number 12 for a quadruple bogey in a total collapse. It was an epic failure when it, when it happened. I yelled at the TV. I said, oh, no. I felt so badly for, for Jordan. It just didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. How does a 22-year-old kid handle that kind of failure? Initially, you don't. You feel awful. You want to crawl into the nearest hole. But in time, he's got to be able to say something like this. I failed but I'm not a failure. I lost at something, but I'm not a loser. In fact, he's still one of the best in the world. The truth is, achievement and failure go together. You've got to be able to say, you know what, I might have failed at that, but I'm not a failure. I might have lost at that, but I'm not a loser. Earlier, I told you about failing in basketball, football, and preaching class, but here's the deal about that. The whole time I was fumbling and failing, at least I was in the game. I mean, to achieve anything, you gotta be in the game. But that means, gang, that you're gonna fail sometimes. I mean, you sign up for college or trade school and you're gonna fail, but at least you're in the game achieving. Sign up to lead something. Sign up to lead a business or a school or a church and you're going to fail, but at least you're in the game trying. Man, sign up to be a parent. We got a lot of parents here with child dedication this weekend and these kids are driving nuts sometimes. But sign up to be a parent and you are going to fail almost every day. Kids do that to you. They make you feel like failures. My wife and I felt like incompetent fools. Raising our kids. We failed right and left, but we stayed in the game and somehow God showed up and our kids turned out. I'm telling you right now, the only way to avoid failure is to be totally isolated from everything. But gang, that is not life. And that's not what God wants. Look again at this verse. God says, you are God's, I love this word, 
You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Now, sometimes the masterpiece is hard to see because of the sinful things that we say and do, but that sin has to be dealt with and confessed and overcome so the masterpiece can emerge. But I'm telling you, no matter how you have failed or what your boss, professor, spouse, or ex thinks of you, you, friends, are God's masterpiece created in Christ to do great work. Believe it or not, the person sitting next to you is a masterpiece. I know they don't look like it sometimes. It doesn't seem like it sometimes. They don't act like it sometimes. But that person sitting next to you is a masterpiece. Everybody here is a masterpiece created by God. So stay in the game and remember, 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 remember that achievement and failure always go together. You try to achieve anything and you're going to encounter failure. It's part of the game. you got to embrace it sometimes. Third area of tension here is people. People can either hurt you or help you. And the biggest impact, I think, on our esteem for good or bad is other people. Parents have had a good influence on you or not good influence. Teachers, coaches, colleagues. In fact, most people who have a healthy, health, healthy self-esteem had parents who encouraged them, mentors who saw promise in them, and colleagues who believed in them. On the other hand, people with low self-esteem were constantly undermined growing up, constantly criticized. They heard things like, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're not going to amount to much. None of it was true, but those words were damaging, and they stay with you. Bottom line, the people in your life have enormous influence on your esteem and how you see yourself. In his new fantastic book, Henry Cloud says this. He says, who's helping you? Who's fighting you? Who's strengthening or diminishing you? He says, the people in your life are literally making you who you are. He says people who excel in life all have great people around them helping them excel. He says those who fail in life typically have people around them who aren't great help to them. In fact, they're critical of them. After I lost our game by two points, my coach put his arm around me and said, Bob, forget about it. You're still my point guard. And that just lifted me. He loved me through that situation. And about 15 years ago, he and his wife actually drove up from Chicago and came to our church just to see me. Bob Morris, he just popped in because he believed in me that much. When I bombed my preaching class, one of my classmates walked me home and he said, Bob, so what? You're still one of the best. Don't even think about quitting and becoming a mortician. That'd be a disaster. So who are the people, gang, who are the people who believe in you? Who are the people who are cheering you on? And if you're sitting here thinking, or wherever you might be, if you're thinking, I I don't know, I don't have anybody like that. That's trouble. I'd also ask this question, who are the people who constantly chip away 
at your confidence. Every relationship you have, every relationship you have either helps you or hurts you. And what I know about some of you is your self-esteem has taken so many hits from classmates, coworkers, bosses, even parents, family members, and Facebook. Some of you don't think you're attractive or smart or talented because you've just been criticized all your life. What's even more challenging is some of you don't have enough of the right people in your life who can remind you of what God thinks of you. And those of you who are in church today or watching online, way to go. You're getting around some people who get this and they're gonna help you feel better about who God made you to be. And maybe today can be a turning point for all of us. Maybe you can begin to believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made just the way God made you to be. You know, maybe you can begin to believe that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And maybe you can begin to believe that you are so deeply loved by God that you will start finding your esteem in him, in your relationship with him, and not in something else or somebody else. But it's gonna be tough. Because as soon as you leave here today, somebody's gonna say something negative about you, or you're gonna see somebody on TV that you're gonna compare yourself to, and you're gonna think, I'm never gonna look like that. I'm never gonna be able to achieve like that. And you're gonna go right back to trying to find your esteem and appearance, achievement, or what people think about you instead of what God thinks about you. The truth is, we see and hear hundreds of messages every day telling us that our esteem depends on our appearance or our achievement or whatever others think of us. Hundreds of messages a day, every single day, and you have heard one message today to counter all that. I mean, there's no way one message can compete with all of that other kind of messages that you and I hear every day, all week long. Which is why, friends, you've got to get into God's word on a daily basis. Just read a few verses every single day on your own to remember what God thinks and says about you. Take these three verses home that we talked about today and put them on your computer screen to remind yourself. Wednesday morning, I, I was doing my devotions. I do them every morning, and Wednesday morning, I started in Romans, and I just read Romans 1.1, the very first verse. I want to show it to you. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for God. And I just looked at that verse, and I underlined the word called and set apart, and I just needed to hear that for myself. I needed to be reminded that, that God has called me and set me apart. And God has called each one of you and set you apart to do something special in this world. Get some people in your life who'll remind you of those things. And gang, never miss church. You know, where you're gonna at least hear one message out of several hundred a week. You'll at least hear one message to counter all that other stuff that we hear on a daily basis. A few years back, I was going through one of those times and my confidence was really low and I was feeling beat up and vulnerable. And sometimes during those times, I'll, I'll, I'll ask God a very simple question. It's, it's even a little weird for me to do this, 
but I'll get alone somewhere and I'll say out loud, I'll say this word, this phrase, I'll say, God, speak to me. Is there anything you want me to see or hear? And I'll just kind of look around and wait and see if something happens. And so I was in the Boundary Waters, this was a while back, with seven other guys, and it was a, it was a great trip, but it was just so noisy all around the camp all the time. Guys were, and there, we had three little kids, and you know they were just like squirrels all over the place. And I just needed some space. And so on the very last night, everybody else went out fishing, and I stayed back because I just wanted to be alone and ask God this question. The guy shoved off and disappeared around the corner, and as the evening faded into twilight, I went out on a rock, and I looked out about two, two miles out over this lake, and I was completely alone, completely isolated from everything. And this is actually a place where I, that's actually me, where I was sitting, but it was a different trip. My uncle took that picture unbeknownst to me. That's exactly where I was sitting. And I said, God, I said, speak to me. Is there something you want me to see or hear? And I sat there feeling a little foolish and nervous because what if God actually did say something? Then what? But I said, God, if you have something for me, just speak. And I love loons, the Minnesota State bird, and they're one of my favorite birds. I love their lonely wilderness call. But in three days of fishing and camping and canoeing, we hadn't seen one loon, not a single one. We always seen loons. But on this trip, not a single one. So I sat on this rock and the daylight was fading and I said, God, speak to me. Is there something you want me to see or hear? And in that moment, I looked up. About 100 yards off our campsite came a single loon that was going to swim right by me where I was sitting. And I've got a loon call that I whistle and it's really pretty bad. So loons never answer me, but I whistle anyway kind of thing, and I just try to give him this call. And this loon, no kidding, stopped when he heard my whistle. He turned, he faced me, and he called back. And I whistled a second time. And he called back a second time. And then he turned and swam away, and he was gone as quickly as as he came. And it was such a gift. Such a rare thing as if God had sent this loon just for me. Now you might think I'm a little loony, loony, but I I think God sent that bird just for me as if to say, Bob, I'm here. You're my boy. I love you. Enjoy the loon. I sent them just to remind you at the precise moment that I will always love you. And I'm always with you. Now, gang, I don't think every loon, deer, or butterfly that comes by is a message from God. I don't. I'm not that crazy. But I believe that one was. Think what you want, but I think that one was. And as we close today, I just want to ask one more time. How do you view yourself? You know, do you view yourself as a masterpiece, wonderfully created by God? I want to do something um, 
with you as we close. Uh, you don't have to do this at all, but I want you to repeat these three verses with me out loud at all campuses. And some of you have never heard or said these things about yourself. You've never heard that you are wonderfully made. I just want you to say it. I want you to hear it. Because I think sometimes it stays with you longer. And so at all campuses, again, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand, all 